Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from in just a moment. And I want to speak for a few moments on what I've entitled the reason for the resurrection. It is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning. It's that time on the church calendar that we set aside to specifically honor the Lord in the resurrection, that, that triumph that came after the gruesome Passion Week and the atonement that took place through the crucifixion. And we want to talk just a little bit about the resurrection. I know Christianity is associated oftentimes with the cross, as it should be. The cross has a great important part of who we are as Christians and what took place with regards to redemption and being reconciled back to God. If Had it not been for Jesus becoming that perfect lamb and sacrifice, right now you and I would still walk in guilt and condemnation. We would walk in a sense of alienation from God, wondering if we could really have a personal relationship with Him. And the cross was that bridge that God established that enabled Him to reach out to us and for us to reach out to Him and for our hands to be clasped together and to have a relationship, an ongoing relationship. And so the cross is very important, but sometimes the cross, as important as it is, becomes that focal point and we tend to overlook or forget the open tomb. And oftentimes I've just mused out loud or I've wondered out loud if maybe instead of wearing a cross around our neck as we do sort of as a fashion statement that it might be good to to wear some sort of a, a rock with a with an with a you know a, a hole cut out of it with with another rock kind of off to the side that would probably be just as important to demonstrate the power of the resurrection because the resurrection is what transforms us the resurrection is what infuses us with life to live transformed to live as unto him and so we want to talk just a little bit about that this morning and if you found philippians chapter 3 i want to read to you beginning with verse 8 some words that paul had to say with regards to the resurrection philippians 3 verse 8 he writes yet indeed i also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Then he says in verse 10, that I may know him. Isn't that interesting? A great apostle says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I want to take just a moment, as I mentioned, and teach just for a few minutes on the reason for the resurrection. I don't know when the last time you bought something that may have been what we call a big ticket item, but whenever I buy something big, like, a, like an appliance, a refrigerator, washer, dryer, uh, a car in particular... But any big ticket item, whenever we purchase it, one of the things that rolls around in my mind, and I think it rolls around in a lot of people's minds, are if I purchase this and I hand you my money and I receive this particular product, is there any guarantee that I get when I get this product? 
Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I check into guarantees and warranties. I want to know whether or not if I purchase this and it breaks down in the first few days I own it or perhaps the first few weeks or months, sometimes they'll even give you years. I want to know, do I have recourse? Do I have some way to go back and make sure this thing can be made right? Now, I understand there are a lot of things that have guarantees and warranties on them that probably don't mean a lot. I purchased, for instance, an iron the other day. I think I spent a whopping $8 on the iron because I got one of those rebates. You know, I got one of those rebate deals that you mail in. And they also give you a warranty and a guarantee on it. Now, although I'm concerned about those things, I'm not sending in a warranty slip on an $8 iron. I, I mean, it just doesn't matter. If the $8 iron goes on the fritz, in a few months, that's just an $8 iron. I'll go buy another one. It'll cost me more in postage and headache probably to run down all that I had to do to make sure the warranty was in place for the dumb $8 iron. But if it's something big, I want to make sure that all is together and everything is operating just right because I want to make sure that I get my value out of it. So if I purchase the car, and it, you know, it used to be, how many of you remember when cars were one year, 12,000 miles? You remember that? I remember that. You know, nowadays, I mean, they're up to five years, 100,000 miles on some vehicles, which is like, all right, thank you, Lord, for the imports that gave us better warranties, you know. But we want to know what takes place because we want it fixed. We want to make sure that big ticket item is taken care of properly. Now, is it not amazing that we'll treat our car a certain way, we'll treat our refrigerator a certain way, we'll make sure our washer and dryer are treated in a certain way with regards to guarantee and warranty. But is it not interesting that for many, many people, when it comes to their own life, they really don't look for any guarantees or warranties. In fact, they just live sometimes like there's no tomorrow. And, and I realize there's the other side of the scale that people will say, well, you know, Pastor, you know, life just doesn't have guarantees. We've, we've been told at one time or another that life doesn't have a guarantee. And it's true in as much as no one here can determine or even foresee all of the challenges and circumstances or problems you may have to face in your life. There are no guarantees. I understand there are no guarantees that certain uh, sicknesses might not come your way. There are no guarantees that uh, you might not be in an automobile accident. There are no guarantees that things won't happen and trials and trouble won't take place in your life. I can't absolutely guarantee that none of that will happen. However, I can guarantee you that the ultimate outcome of your life can be sealed in a deal if you so choose to fill out the warranty. And it's amazing how many folks will just go through life not wondering, not caring, not thinking about whether or not when life is all said and done, whether or not there are those guarantees. And the account of the resurrection demonstrates the truth to us that God wanted to be sure that there was something in place, a guarantee in place, that the people He loved could embrace and reach out to and receive and have it work in their life to such an extent that, that, that they could not only go through life in such a way that would give them a quality of existence that would distinguish themselves from everyone else, but that when life was all said and done, there would be the joy of knowing that you were just transitioning from an earthly natural existence into an eternal existence. And he wanted to be sure that his people 
would embrace that and know that. And he had a vision for it. In fact, God's heart and his vision was that millions and millions of people would know and experience that type of guarantee that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is God's highest desire to have uncountable millions of people worshiping him and loving him throughout all eternity. Let me dispel a couple myths maybe this morning if I can. Number one is God doesn't send anybody to hell. He doesn't want anybody in hell. In fact, he's provided the warranty, Jesus Christ, in order to make sure that doesn't have to happen to absolutely anyone. His highest desire is that people know him and receive him and not only worship him and serve him here on this earth, but when life is all said and done, we'll enjoy the benefits of the eternal home in heaven. And not only that, as I mentioned, he desires you to have a quality of life that's abundant, a quality of life that's joyful, a quality of life that brings you peace and purpose. You say, well, Pastor, I thought you just said that you can't guarantee being faced with all sorts of issues and challenges and troubles and trials. That's true. But how many of you know you can face a trouble and still have your joy? You can be in the midst of sorrow, but still have your hope. You can be in the midst of the most excruciating pain and still retain your peace. I can't guarantee that those Negative things won't come your way, but I can tell you there is a person that can give you those lovely intangibles in your heart and life when you need them the most. The Lord implemented all of this, his heart and his vision, through a process in Jesus Christ that is relatively simple. I believe I put it on the screen overhead. But there are basically four things that I want to just throw out real quick that he implemented in order that this vision of redemption might take place within the heart of of people. The first thing is what I call the birth of the vision. When God had a heart to redeem mankind from the moment the inception that sin came into the equation in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned before God by disobeying Him and partaking of the fruit, sin entered the equation. And from the outset, in Genesis chapter 3, you begin to see the prophecies that God himself began to declare that a day would come where the woman would crush the serpent's head and that there would be a day that redemption would take place. And then through the centuries, the prophets began to declare uh, the coming of a Messiah who would become the perfect sacrifice. He would become the, the perfect atonement, the perfect reconciler between God and man. And then Jesus comes in the form of a baby and and the whole the whole uh, uh, existence of redemption the whole possibility of redemption enters into the equation as Jesus comes into the earth and he begins to teach and preach and begins to share with all humanity what God is like and he says some amazing things he says when you've seen me you've seen the father he says if you'll listen to what I'm saying I can only speak what the father is saying I can only do what the father's doing He said, if you just look at me, I can begin to demonstrate to you exactly what God is all about. And so the Lord, through his son, Jesus, begins to birth this vision of redemption in the earth. Secondly, it's what I call the revelation of the vision. As Jesus begins to teach and walk and mention the things that I've just said, he begins to unveil God's heart. He says he doesn't want anyone to be lost. God's God's will is not that anyone should perish. 
He's the one that begins to look at humanity and say, you guys got a problem, but there's a solution to your problem. And I can give you that solution to that problem called sin. Everybody's born with that issue. Nobody comes into the world unstained, but everyone enters the world in a problem. But Jesus says, when you get a hold of who I am and what I can do, when you, when you get that revelation or that unveiling, it's like that curtain that comes back and you begin to really see what it is I can do in your life. He says, then you'll begin to know the joy of what it means to be in a relationship with God. But then all of a sudden, all this good stuff as it's going on, all this cool teaching, all this this interesting stuff that Jesus begins to share with the multitudes, all of a sudden, on the last week of his life, begins to fall apart. It seems like everything begins to unravel. And you have the birth of a vision, you have the revelation of the vision, but then comes number three, the death of the vision. All of a sudden, this Jesus, who never did anything to anyone, I want you to listen to me just for a minute. This is the most amazing thing in the world to me that That when you consider all that Jesus did was that he went about healing the sick, helping the poor, causing people to be whole, people who were insane, demonically oppressed, folks that had issues in their life, living under guilt, burden, and condemnation. All he did was do his best to release them, to free them, to minister hope to them, to give them a reason to go on. All the things that he did, it got him crucified. Is that not unjust? Is that not the height of unfairness? But yet that's exactly what happened. And he went through Passion Week. And as he went through Passion Week, all of the atrocities that we know that surrounded the crucifixion, the the flogging, the beating, the carrying of the cross, the putting of the stakes within his hands, the lifting him up, the shamefulness of having to be crucified naked before a public crowd, bleeding profusely, having birds and bugs constantly at you for literally hours until finally, finally you give up your your spirit to God the Father and a Roman soldier slices your side with a spear. The atrocity of a crucifixion is almost beyond description. And if you were a disciple then, you might look at that picture as many of them did and said to themselves, it's over. How can this thing that he taught and these truths that he left us with, how could they ever come to pass? All the hopes, all the dreams, all the aspirations, all the desires that he articulated, how in the world can all of this come to pass? He's dead and he's gone. It's amazing. It's amazing when the situation is intense enough. It's amazing when your circumstance puts you in a, in a, in a, tough, hot situation. The crucible of, of trial is just in, is intense and the stress is just, is just almost, you're almost unable to withstand it. It's amazing how you begin to forget everything you've been taught. I, I'm probably not the only one. I've been in a few tough situations before. If anyone can identify with that, say amen. Have you been in a tough situation? Isn't it amazing how you can be taught all sorts of wonderful things? But the minute crisis hits, you forget everything that you've been taught. And they did too. It's a good thing the Lord didn't forget. Because three days later, it's number four. What took place was there's the resurrection of the vision. And that's what we celebrate today. Three days later, Christ miraculously and physically 
arose from the dead. This wasn't theory. It's not fairy tale. It's not a story. But he literally came out of the tomb in resurrected, glorified state. The Bible says that not only did the disciples witness that, but if you'll read 1 Corinthians, it says that over 500 different people actually saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, we're not talking about just a few folks whose testimonies are suspect or some little old lady who had spectacles on a street corner saw him. We're talking about 500 people saw him. In fact, even in the ancient historical literature, there's never really a debate about whether he arose or not. He arose from the dead. And this resurrection becomes our warranty. This resurrection becomes our guarantee of God's heart in the earth. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to read to you just another portion of Scripture that's really good at It has to do with the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. Paul writes these words as well. It's the famous resurrection chapter in his letter to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Listen to what it says. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. I'll just stop there for just a moment. When people, when people say they're exercising faith but they don't believe in Jesus Christ or they haven't given their life to Jesus Christ, they aren't exercising faith. They may be exercising wish. They may be exercising hope so, but they're not exercising faith because it says here you can only exercise faith if Christ has been raised. Yes, verse 15 We are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ. In other words, if all of this is just a bunch of bunk, Paul says that he's a liar and I'm here to tell you I'm a liar. If all this is just bunk, he says we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Man, that's, that's heavy if you just stop for just a minute. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ or who have died in Christ have perished. For if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But here comes verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, say that's us. But here's the good news, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And this great passage here in 1 Corinthians 15 references Christ being the first fruit. He is the first fruit of something that will take place in everyone else's life. What's a first fruit? What's a first fruit? A first fruit in Bible days was the first part of the harvest that was ripe. In other words, when you came to a field and you were ready to harvest it, and I can remember back in my farm days, oftentimes my uncle, who uh, owned much, much farmland and 
mostly he would uh, sow wheat. He would, he would send a combine or a thresher through the field and he would just take one swath out of the field and then he'd stick a probe into it and he'd take it down to the local co-op elevator and they would do some tests on it and they would begin to figure out the water content and they would begin to see where it was in the ripening process and they could have a pretty good idea as to what you know, the bushel per acre would be, and they could begin to figure out how good the harvest was going to be. And so in Bible days, they did much the same thing. They would go through and they would get the first fruit. They would get that first little bit of the harvest uh, that was just starting to turn ripe, and they could begin to see by looking at that and doing what they did with it in those days, they could begin to get an indication as to what the rest of the harvest would actually look like. I liken it to what automobile manufacturers, manufacturers do with new cars when they're starting a new line of cars. They call them a prototype. And they'll send out this car and it'll have a body that no one has ever seen before and it may have an engine that no one's put in that particular car before and you know they'll, they'll rip off the curtain and it'll be nice and bright and shiny and everyone will go ooh and ah and the lights will be put on it. And there's no other car quite like that one. It's a prototype. It's the first of its class. It's, it's a sample or it's a model of that which is going to come out in mass production in the next few months. That's what a first fruit is. And Jesus, the Bible says, is a first fruit when it comes to the resurrection and the power the resurrection contains. The Bible says that he is a sample of that which will be demonstrated in far greater numbers in the days ahead and even in the days we're living in now. It says that Jesus, when he came forth in his glorified state, when, when the disciples looked at him in his resurrected state, and at times they didn't even understand who he was. Remember the road to Emmaus? They were walking with him, and they knew him, they'd heard his voice, but they didn't quite get it right away, and they didn't know who it was until he was able to do a few things that they recognized because he was in his resurrected, glorified state. He was a first fruit. He was a sample. And the Bible says that when Jesus came forth as this first fruit, he became the sample of what you and I can enjoy one day when we too, being in him, will be resurrected from the dead to live with him eternally in the heavens. Is that not cool? I mean, that's way cool. What he experienced and how he experienced it will be a model, it will be a prototype It's an example, even a guarantee to us who follow in his footsteps. Now, let me just give you an example. I'm going to go through that same four-step process here real quick. The first part I want to mention to you is what I call the birth of a vision. And let's call that hope. If you're writing this down, put down the word hope. The birth of a vision, hope. Everybody, in fact, whether it's out loud or whether it's secretly, everybody, I believe, has hope. Some hope for their future. Some of you have job hopes. Some of you want a different job, a new job. Some of you have career hopes. You're hoping someday you can work in this field. You're hoping someday perhaps you'll be hired with this particular company. I know people have financial hopes. They hope not only they can pay their bills, but they want to put some in savings and maybe develop a retirement portfolio. Some of us have health hopes. Particularly those of you that perhaps struggle with sickness or disease. You have hopes that maybe one day life could be different. Your body will feel better. Some of us have joy hopes. We'd like to be happier in life. And 
Will our life ever change in such a way that maybe a little joy will come into our life? So we have sort of a hope for, for happiness or a hope for joy. Can I just say all of us should have some hope that we can have victory over the sins that so easily beset us. I don't know about you, but if I were plagued with addictions or if I were plagued by snares or if I were plagued by, by constant destruction in my life, wouldn't you think that you would have some hope for a better day? I would think so. I would think that you would, want, you would have great hope and that you would want that hope that somehow the future would be different. How about hope for your marriage? Hope for a relationship. I mean, we could go down the list of all the things a human being could bring to the table and place on it and say, you know, I've got some hopes in this particular area. Every person goes through that process of wanting to have hope. And I believe that hope springs from God reaching to us. The hope that you have in your life is an indicator that God really wants to get a hold of your life. Otherwise, there'd be no hope. He is actually moving and working in people's lives when you look at any one of these things I've said and you would say, I've got hope. That's God working in you somehow. Trying to woo you, trying to draw you, trying to solicit you to come to Him so that He might satisfy those hopes that you carry. The second thing is what we call the revelation of the vision. And that's what I put down, values and priorities. You have all these hopes, you have all these dreams... But then you have to realize that you've got to prioritize and and value certain things and ask yourself these particular questions. If I want a good relationship, if if I have hopes for a job or a career, if if I want sickness to be dispelled out of my body, if I want to break out of addictions and brokenness, if if I'm sick and tired of depressions and discouragement, then what is it that I'm going to need to value? What is it that I'm going to need to prioritize? Who is it that I'm going to need to listen to in order that I can begin to move out and break out from these particular issues that are going on in my life? The most amazing thing to me is, you know, there's an old saying that, that says this, birds of a feather do what? Isn't it amazing that we'll find ourselves in in just desperate situations and we'll call up somebody who's as equally as desperate as we are and want their advice? Well, I know you've been through five, six, seven relationships, divorces. I, I know you've been foreclosed on five, six times. I figure you'd know what's going on in my financial situation. Now, does that seem strange only to me? Well, you know, I know you've lost the last four jobs you've held, but I'm kind of looking for a promotion, and I just figured you might have some advice on that. Well, that's why we call it Revelation. Because you got to get an unveiling. They ain't going to get you there. Can I just say it again? They won't get you where ultimately you want to go. And you've got to find someone. You've got to find the one who has the value system and the priority system that can help you get from where you are at point A and get you ultimately to point Z. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus came, the Bible says, that we might have life and that more abundantly. He said that he wanted to give his people a quality of existence that distinguished themselves from the way the world did life. 
Now, that doesn't mean we won't face the heartache or the hurt or the challenge or the trial. He's not saying he's guaranteeing none of that. He's simply saying, I'll get you through it. They crash, but I can get you through it. If you'll get that revelation, say, value and priority. Then number three, we call it the death of the vision. This is what I use the word yielding. Yielding. There comes a moment in all of our lives that we have to get that revelation or find out that we can't make it work on our own. I've listened to people spiritualize and try to make it a spiritual precept and then they'll talk about, well, you know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf or I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, those are great sayings out there, but that ain't the word of God. The Bible says that you won't go anywhere until you let go and let God. The Bible says that until you yield to the king, until you yield to his ways, his precepts, and what he has provided, until you yield, the good stuff will not begin to take place. And that is what we call death. It's death to yourself. It's death to your selfishness or self-centeredness. That's the yielding that needs to take place. And I don't know how it works in all of your lives, but I know there have been moments in my life, gratefully, as I've served the Lord now coming up on three decades, gratefully, I'm getting a little smarter along the way. I know the Lord had to have shaken his head a time or two wondering if that day would come. But gratefully, I think I'm getting a little smarter as the years go on. But I can tell you the truth that there have been moments in my life, and I'll bet in your life as well, that you have found yourself in a position, in a situation, in a circumstance where everything has fallen apart. The yarn has unraveled. You know, the VHS cassette has been yanked out of its box. There's no way you're saying to yourself, I can't put the tape back together. We can't rewind the yarn. It's just, it's too far gone. It's over. And the reason God allows that to work that way is for you to finally say, I can't fix it. I can't do it. It's beyond me. I let go and let God. There's always this this personal kind of death that takes place in order for God to move into an equation. We all want God to move into our lives, but listen to me, we've got to die to ourselves. We've got to die to some things. We've got to die to some of our thoughts and our arrogances and our prides. And we need to understand that at that particular moment, just like when Jesus died and it looked like he was gone and Satan did the jig on the grave... And all the things that took place that scattered the disciples every which direction. You need to understand when the world says it's over, that's the moment God says it starts. And I don't know where you may be this morning, but there have been a few times in my life where the world or somebody has counted me out. But here's the good news. Just because somebody counts you out, that doesn't mean God has counted you out. And if you can reach the place where you can say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I would really like for this situation to pass, but nevertheless, I will go through whatever you've asked me to go through. If you can get to the place where you can look at perpetrators and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and understand that Jesus as your first fruit is modeling something that if you'll embrace in your own life will bring you through that same victory, you're going to find out that the world may be counting to 10 for the knockout, but God's saying, I'm about ready to raise you up. And that's when we get to number four, the resurrection of the vision. See, this is this is God's business now. God's in the business of raising dead things up. God's in the business of of raising desperate, broken situations up. 
When you feel like your hand can't fix what's going on, the good news is God's hand can. He raises things up out of the ashes. He'll bring them forth. This is the cool thing about the Lord. And that is when He raises something up, He doesn't raise it up to just restore it to the way it was, but whenever God raises something up, He always raises it up to something that's better than it ever was. Amen. That's why He said the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. That's why when Jesus came out of the grave, He didn't come out of the grave as the man who was torn up, beat up, chewed up on a cross. He came out better than He'd ever been. And I'm here to declare to you that if you'll embrace the work of the Lord, the processes of the Lord, and ultimately the Lord Himself in your life, here's the good news. You may go through situations where you're down and out, but He will raise you up better than you've ever been. Better than you've ever been. And when I read to you these passages out of the book of Philippians, I, what I saw was Paul saying ostensibly the same thing I'm trying to say this morning. And I hope you're getting it in your heart. This is what he said. He, he said, I count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Him. He says, I don't want my own righteousness. It's not, it's not about me. The universe doesn't revolve around me. I'm not the center of the universe. Charleston does not revolve around Kevin Baird. So my righteousness doesn't exist in me, but it comes through faith in Christ. And he says, I want to know him. I want to know him in the birth. I want to know him in the revelation. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and in the death because I want to know him in resurrection power. I don't know about you, but I want to know him in resurrection power. Paul is saying, I want to know him. And my question to you this morning is, do you want to know him? Do you really want to know him? Do you want to know him in all of these aspects? And it's easy to say, yes, listen to me. If I were just to preach resurrection power this morning and tell you there's power in Jesus Christ and there's the empty tomb and the glory and, and just let you hear about resurrection power and then say, do you want it? We'd all go, yeah, give me resurrection power. But you've got to understand where resurrection power came from. It, it, it came from that, that process of knowing that God's birthing something. He's revealing something. He's calling you to die to yourself so he can bring you out. And then he can bring you a new beginning. Listen to me. You can't have a new beginning unless you're willing to die to that old stuff. Everybody wants a new beginning while we retain half of what we should be dying to. Everybody wants a great future, great personal destiny. I'm here to declare to you, your personal destiny will not come until you die to some of that old stuff. you got to say yes to the total package. And here's the good news. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to read you this and then tell you a quick story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. In other words, he's, he, he's saying we're not being duplicitous in how we're presenting the Lord. He says we're not telling you that some things are yeah and other things are no, or you can kind of choose this, but you can let this go, or why don't you take a little bit of this, but not any of that. He says we're not talking that. All, all that we told you was yes. It says in verse 20, all the promises of God in Him. Everyone say in Him. 
Now, the reason that's important is because the promises of God are no good to any of us unless we are in him. You can't have a promise of God unless you're in him. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, or so be it. To the glory of God through us. Now listen, verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. And this is the cool verse, number 22. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. (laughs) A guarantee. You know what that means? It means this. It means I could be tortured. I could become crippling ill. I understand, believe me, believe me, I'm a full gospel faith preacher, so don't, I know I got people that may be spazzing at me saying this right now, but I'm not making a poor confession. I'm just making a statement that can be true. I may be tortured. I, I, I could have an illness. I, I could suffer financial setback. I I could face the most horrific set of circumstances that could ever be thrown at a human being. All these things can take place in my life. They sure enough can. But listen to me right now. There will come a moment in my life when God says, it is now time for you to come be with me. And I will transition from my temporal earthly experience into my eternal, immortal existence. And at that particular moment, I'm going to walk into victory. That's why Paul was able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because it doesn't really matter ultimately how this life shakes out. The bottom line isn't what happens in the middle of the book. The key is what happens in the last chapter. And and the key to it all is, is that when I have embraced Jesus himself, he gives me his spirit, which becomes a guarantee that when that day comes, I end up winning. I end up being raised. I end up being with him. I I end up with it all making sense and it all filling me up. But here's the good news. As good as that is, I still believe that my quality of existence in this life right now can be distinguishably different and better than anything else I'll experience in the world. Let me just ask, has anyone in here, just raise your hand, has anyone in here can say, I mean truly say that there's been some time in your life where God's healed you. He's literally healed you, has in my life. Just lift your hand. Just look around. I mean, there are folks right now that have experienced a healing touch from the Lord. Has there, have there been any folks right now that have experienced in the midst of difficulty a sense of God's abiding joy or peace that surpasses understanding? Anyone but me? So there's people in the room that have experienced that. Let me tell you something. There is a guarantee that God can give by his spirit in our lives that can cause us to live qualitatively and even quantitatively different than life would have been lived without him. And that's what resurrection power is all about. Resurrection power isn't, a, isn't just about all the stuff the world defines as great or successful. It's, it's about when you find that place in him that you realize it doesn't matter what happens. Count me out, do what you want, but God will raise me up. I believe God's raising people up. Amen? You know who, you know who God wants to raise up? He wants to raise up those that are the farthest down and outers you can imagine. Yes, he does. Let me tell you this last story. I'm done. When we lived in Spartanburg, we bought a home that was a fixer-upper. And uh, I had a kitchen floor installed. And uh, it wasn't just any floor. It was a congolium. 
Now, it didn't mean much to me at the time, but to the salesman, it meant a lot to him. You aren't just getting any floor. You're getting a congolium floor. All right. That's good to know. Because I was told there's no better floor on the market than a congolium floor. So we got the congolium floor and we installed it there in the kitchen. And it was really nice. It looked good. All the things that, you know, you want your kitchen floor to be. Until we, we noticed that shortly after, it was just a few months afterwards, <clears throat> that um, it began to shrink. And, and so it pulled away from the cord around along the sides. And then there was a seam that they had to put in the congolium. And, and it began to split just a little bit. And so I said, you know, I spent a lot of money for this congolium floor. And so I got out all the paperwork on it. And uh, there it was in writing. I had a warranty. I had a guarantee on this floor. So I called up Congolium. And of course, you, you know, you can guess. And see, well, I'll transfer you to so-and-so. And then I'll transfer you, for you to so-and-so. And I don't know. I went through I don't know how many people. Until finally, I got to a person that I could talk to. And I told him the situation I was in. I was getting irritated as I was being transferred all along. And finally, I got somebody from Congolium to come by. And look at my floor. Well, the guy walked in. I can remember he was probably one of these guys that traveled around. And he probably did this for a living. And uh, he walked in and kind of looked at it and kind of said a few things. And he wanted to write me off a, a, a check for, I don't know, about a quarter of what it costs. And I looked at him and I said, really, I don't want your money. I want somebody to fix my floor. That's really all I'm wanting. I'm wanting my floor fixed. You giving me whatever it was, 500 bucks... You giving me that money doesn't fix what I've got going wrong here. I can't use the money to get me another floor. That money isn't going to stretch this floor and make it right. I want my floor right. And I got a guarantee. And he looked and he said, I, I can't, I, I can't, this is all I can do. I said, you're kidding. It's, you, you're kidding. He said, no, this is all I can do. You're either going to take the 500 or you're not going to get anything. And I said, well, I'm an American. We'll just go see, you know, the lady with the blindfold and scales in her hand. And we'll just see how this works because I want my floor. And uh, so anyway, he left. And uh, I was just twisted. You ever been twisted? Now, I was sanctified twisted, but I was twisted, man. I'm here to tell you, man. So I did a little research, and apparently they were doing a little research too. And we had, we, had, we, had, we had gotten some folks to install it that had installed some carpet and done some other things that were, that were used. They were, I guess, subs from whoever the carpet people we had used as well. And anyway, to make a long story short, what happened was they understood how to install carpet. They just didn't understand how to install congolium. And they installed it wrong. And all of a sudden, I found out that when it's installed wrong, your warranty is, it's, it's no good. It's no good. And so there was this loophole in the warranty. The loophole was you got to make sure it's installed right. If it's not installed right, there's no guarantee. And so what happened was I didn't even get the $500. It was like deal or no deal. I got the wrong suitcase.
I held out for the floor and got nothing because of the loophole. Now listen, listen to me, and I'm done. Is not your future, is not your destiny, is not your eternal destination, is not the quality of life you are living, is not the relationships you want to have, is not all the things that ultimately you would like life to be and afterlife most assuredly to be, are you really, are you really going to let something dangle or hang and come up at the end or at crisis moment and find out there's a loophole in your guarantee? I mean, a couple thousand bucks is a hard pill to swallow, but an eternity alienated from God is a whole lot bigger pill. I'll live with bad floor. I don't want to live without Jesus. I don't want to live without resurrection power. I, I, I don't want to live without knowing that I know, that I know, that I know. I, I, don't want, I, don't want anything, I, I don't want anything kind of dangling some doubt. I want to know that I know him. It's Paul who said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, he never defines what that day is, but no matter what that day is, we're all going to face that day. And I want to know on that day whom I have believed. And what power is working in my life? And I want that for you too. The question is, do you want it? Do you want the guarantee? Do you want the warranty? Do you want the Lord? Do you, are you ready to embrace all of it? Because if you are, I got good news for you. He can raise you up. He can dust you off, clean you up, give you a new start. And life really can be different. It really can be. If you'll open up your heart to him. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus to send your spirit into this place and begin to do now the job that is totally, completely, and uniquely yours. Holy Spirit, I know that you're alive and well because your word says that you're here to put guarantees in our hearts. You are here to stamp something inside of us that lets us know that we're yours. And that we can know beyond all knowing that something has happened. Power, resurrection power has been unleashed in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray right now that I can't do it. I can, I can teach or I can make people laugh and chuckle. Or I can share scripture and some points that I felt like you put on my heart. But Lord, when it comes right down to it, you're the only one that can reach into a human heart, into a human life, and begin to woo and begin to draw people to yourself. And Lord, I want, I want folks to fill out, so to speak, the warranty and put it in your hand. I want people to experience the transforming, life-giving power of Jesus Christ. I know there are some here, Lord, that probably need you. They're in a situation that's been written off. The stone's rolled in front of it. It's declared dead. But Lord, I believe you could bring life to it if we would, if we would let you. So Lord, would you begin to talk with us this morning? We've said it already several times, but Lord, I know this isn't theory.
This isn't a story. This isn't fabrication. This just isn't religious moral instruction. But this is real live relationship with you. And Lord, you love people. In fact, your, your word says that you loved them so much that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That Lord, they change their mind about how life's being lived and that they just say yes to you. So Lord, would you do that? Would you work in hearts right now and cause people to respond in a way they'll be glad they did on that day? I believe you'll do it. You'll help us this morning in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there are ostensibly, I think, probably three groups of people here. First group is the group that, that's encouraged and you would say, you know, I'm glad I heard that again today because sometime in your life you made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you've experienced resurrection power and you know what transformation really means and you're walking with them and life may not be perfect but you know you're going to make it because he's in the center of your life and I want you to be encouraged and I just want you to keep on keeping on because he will you may feel like sometimes you're down and out but he's in the business of raising people up can I just prophesy? Let me just tell you, he's raising you up as an individual and he'll raise us up as a people. Amen. We're not out of anything. He'll take us and raise us up and do with us as he pleases, pleases and our success will be found in him. There's a second group. That second group is the group that maybe some time ago, maybe years ago, you made a commitment to the Lord and for whatever reason, there's hundreds of them, I'm sure, but it waned and it got old or dry or you didn't think life shook out like it should have or something took place that discouraged you and you walked away. And if you were asked the question, do you love the Lord? You'd probably say, well, yeah, I, I guess I believe in God. And I guess if you asked if I love the Lord, I'd probably say, yeah. But let's just be truthful. If you're not walking with him, it's not all that it could be. I'm not here to debate some doctrine with anybody. I'm just here to say that my call is to bring people to an up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you made decisions years ago. My question isn't what you decided years ago. My question is, what are you deciding this morning? Because your quality of existence is not what it could be or should be. There's no assurance. To be honest with you, you're kind of shaky if we could really see inside. That's that second group. And the third group, you may be the group that that you've never even had the moment where you said yes to the Lord. You've maybe checked Christianity out, wondered about it, thought about it, really never made a commitment. But you know this morning, the Lord may be knocking at your door, something going on in your heart right now that's unexplainable. That's the Lord. That's His presence. That's real. I, I can't make a heart pitter-patter in that unique, special way that is really the voice of the Lord saying, I love you, I'm drawing you, I'm wooing you. No human being can make that happen. Only the Lord can. And what he's saying this morning is, he's saying, I'm knocking. Will you open up your heart and let me come in? And this is what I want to ask right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you fit into group two or three right now, if you would say this morning on Resurrection Sunday morning, you need to just get things aligned right. You need to embrace this person called Jesus. You need to get your focus back to where it needs to be. You need to begin to walk with him. I want you right where you are. Don't worry about who's standing next to you right now. Don't worry about what people will think. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, 
I'll confess you before the Father. If you'll, if you'll be brave enough and confident enough to just say yes right now, the Lord will come and empower you in a very unique and special way. You'll stand by yourself before the throne one day. Don't you worry about what anyone else thinks. You just do what God's asking you to do right now. If you're saying, I need to make that kind of decision, I need to get my life back right on track with Jesus this morning. I want you on the count of three to lift your hand and, and just keep it up for just a moment. Lift your hand and say, that's me. I want you to identify your need this morning and say, that's me. It all starts with being honest and saying, yep, that's me. That's me. Be honest. This is a house of honesty. Be honest. We'll cheer you. God will cheer you. The angels will cheer you. How about it? Will you be honest enough to do that? On the count of three, that's me. I'm identifying my need. One, two, three. Just lift it right now. Just lift it right now. I need to get back right. I need to get back right. There are hands going up. Come on, keep them up. Just keep them up. Just keep them up. Hands going up. Thank you. You can put them down right now. Now, I didn't do that to leverage you to this moment, but this is what I'd like for you to do. I want to pray for you, and I want you to seal your decision with a little walk with me right now. And what I'm going to do is as you come, I'll hug your neck. And I'll love you, and hopefully you'll sense the love of God. But I want you right now, in these next 30 seconds, just to slip out from where you are. And I want you to come, and I want you to stand here with me right now. And just say, right now, I'm going to pray the prayer, Pastor. I want you to come. Just come on. If that's you, just slip out. Some have already come. You won't be by yourself. Just come on. And, and we'll just hug next. And if that's you, just come on. Come on. Come on. I want, I want to get right. It's Easter Sunday morning. Resurrection Sunday morning. Come on. Just come on, and we're just going to get our hearts right before God. You may have walked aisles before. You can walk an aisle again. Just come on. Just come on. Anyone else? I don't want to leave anyone out. Lights are so bright, I can't tell if your hand was up or not. But if it was, come on. If it wasn't, there's still time right now. Come on. I want my guys, Tracy's ladies, if you have some, you can just kind of file in and lay hands on folks behind these folks and I want us all to pray congregation I want you to join with me I want everybody's voice right now to be lifted up before the Lord and just bring your genuineness and sincerity right now but everybody lift your voice right now to the Lord as we pray Heavenly Father thank you this morning for resurrection power I come to you today and acknowledge waywardness it does not matter whether it's little or big. It was disobedience in your eyes. I confess that before you. And I make a choice to turn and to come to you. I open up my heart and I ask you to come in. Renew me. Restore me. Cause resurrection life to come inside of me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart you were raised from the dead and according to your word and my confession I am a child of God in Jesus name let that power transform me let that power Raise me up out of the ashes to make a difference 
in this life. And I look forward, Lord, to that day that you'll be there with that power to see me through. I can count on it. I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, we ought to just clap and shout and hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to cut you loose right now, but listen to me. It's more, it's more, I'm glad you prayed, and that's important. But now you got to, now you got to get connected, you got to get walking with God, you got to begin to be discipled, and you've got to let this stuff work its way in you. And if it would have worked on your own, it would have happened. But you might need some help. So if you're a guest and you have a home church somewhere, get plugged into your local church. If you can come to this local church, we can get you plugged in and we can get you help. We want you to be successful in your walk. Amen. Amen. These folks are right here with you, guys. Uh, Just begin to interact and they may pray with you one more time. So let them do that and we just want to seal that in you. But I'm going to pray for the congregation and let them go. And, And guys, it's a great Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? When you see lives that are touched, this is what it's all about. We don't come do the religion thing. We come do the relationship thing. Amen. So I'm going to pray for the congregation and some folks may pray for you as well. So don't rush right off. Your, your family and friends will wait for you. But I'm going to release the congregation right now. Father, thank you for these sweet people, Lord, that stepped out courageously and said yes to the promise of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray for them again that you would establish them in the faith. Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around each one of them. That it would extinguish, Lord, give them that season, that unusual season of extinguishing all the fiery darts of the enemy that would enable them to get a good start on walking with you. And Lord, I pray for this congregation as they're released. Lord, let them have a great day with family and friends. Lord, let, let, let it be sweet because the presence of the Lord is in the midst of those gatherings. And Lord, let Resurrection Sunday not just be today, but let the power of the resurrection come out of our life every single day and every single Lord's day. And Lord, I bless this congregation. I bless these people, Lord, and release them into your steady care. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Lord's Day. God bless you. You're released.